0: I spend a lot of time in prisons, and while I know we are all responsible for our behavior as adults, I am often saddened by the abuse, neglect, and trauma that litters the childhood of so many inmates. It doesn't matter what they've done, but sometimes, at least, it does make it understandable. But what about the person who has everything and then chooses to throw it away? Today's show is about Dylan Millard, the only child of a wealthy aviation magnate—handsome, talented, privileged. At 14, Dellen Millard was famous for being Canada's youngest pilot. Two decades later, on December the 18th, 2018, he set another record. He became the first murderer in Ontario, Canada to be sentenced to prison with no chance of parole for 75 years. 32 year old Tim Bosma was a church going, pickup truck driving kind of guy. He was married to the love of his life, Charlene, whom he met on the dating website eHarmony. The two had a whirlwind romance, and just a year after their first date, Tim and Charlene bought a rural plot of land outside of Ancaster, Ontario, and started to build their dream house. Just a few months later, they got married, and Charlene became pregnant with their baby daughter. Tim was a devoted family man. And supported the household by running a small contracting business. There was no shortage of love in the Bosma's growing family, but money was tight, and just two years after welcoming their daughter, Tim and Charlene found themselves living paycheck to paycheck. In an attempt to get ahead, Tim decided to sell his beloved 2007 Dodge truck. For weeks, Charlene had been posting for sale ads online. Finally, they got a bite. Two men from Toronto called wanting to take it for a test drive. On the evening of May 6, 2013, Tim drove home from work, excited about the potential sale. He had made plans to meet the two men at his home at 7 p.m., but they didn't show up. As time passed and the night grew darker, Tim began to get discouraged. Around 8.30 p.m., he put his daughter to sleep. Charlene was in the garage having a cigarette with her neighbor when the two potential buyers finally walked up the driveway around 9.30 p.m. The two men were on foot, which struck her as odd because the Bosmas lived off a rural road. The taller of the two men, who was clean-cut and outgoing, explained that a friend had just dropped them off while he went into town. The shorter man was quiet and had his hooded sweatshirt pulled up over his head. He barely uttered a word. The men took a quick look at the Dodge and wanted to take it for a test drive. Something about the whole situation just seemed off, and Tim wondered if it would be safe for him to take a drive this late at night with strangers. But Charlene encouraged him, anxious to get some extra cash, and worried that the truck might be stolen if Tim didn't ride along. The neighbor, too, thought the whole situation was a little strange. When Tim got in the passenger seat and drove away with the strangers, The neighbor cracked a joke to ease the tension. This might be the last time we ever see him, he said to Charlene. He didn't know how prophetic his words would be. An hour passed and Tim wasn't home. Charlene called his cell phone. Alarm bells went off when it went straight to voicemail. She knew he had charged it just before he left. A few hours later, Charlene called the Hamilton Police Department. Friends and family started looking for him. Tim was popular in the tight-knit Christian community, and everyone dropped everything to help. As the hours passed, Tim's disappearance rattled the community. If this could happen to Tim, it could happen to anyone. After two days with no news, the Hamilton police handed over the case to homicide investigators. The next day, Crime Stoppers received an anonymous call asking to compare a vehicle identification number with that of Tim's truck. It was a match, but the caller abruptly hung up. That day, Charlene's hopes skyrocketed when she received a call from Tim's cell phone. But it wasn't Tim. It was a property maintenance worker who had found Tim's phone on the side of a road in Brantford, a town 20 minutes west of Ancaster. The Hamilton police acquired Tim's phone records and found that the last number to call his phone was registered to a Lucas Bate. When they examined the phone records of Lucas Bate, they discovered it had been used days earlier to arrange several test drives for other Dodge Ram diesel trucks. They spoke to one of the sellers who had been contacted, and he gave a similar description of the two men as that of Charlene. He said the taller, clean-cut guy had a tattoo on his wrist that read, "Ambition." and was carrying a canvas satchel over his shoulder. Local investigators reached out to other police districts in an effort to locate someone with a record that had an Ambition tattoo on their wrist. The tattoo was known to police. And they quickly obtained a name, 27-year-old Dellen Millard. Dellen was the charismatic heir of a well-known aviation family in Ontario, and at 14 had become famous for being Canada's youngest pilot, After his father committed suicide in 2012, Dellen inherited Millard Air. But despite the family wealth and Dellen's privileged upbringing, he became entrenched in a life of drugs, parties, and breaking the law. Dellen wanted to be a crime boss. He surrounded himself with a group of malleable young people he could direct to do his criminal will. With Dellen at the helm, the Millard Air hangar stopped being used for aircraft business And turned into a chop shop for stolen property. Four days after Tim went missing, Hamilton police went to the Millard Air hangar in Waterloo, Ontario, to speak to Dellen. He was wearing the same canvas satchel witnesses had reported seeing. They opted to put him under surveillance, and that same day, Crime Stoppers received a second call from the mystery caller. This time, though, he identified himself as Arthur Jennings, an employee of Millard Air. He told police that the day after Tim Bosma went missing, all employees received a notice from Dellen not to come into work at the hangar that day. When Arthur arrived the following day, he was confronted with a Dodge truck that looked just like the one he had seen all over the news. When he initially phoned Crime Stoppers, the shock and fear for his own life and family compelled him to hang up. This time, he was giving all the information he had. But the truck was no longer on the property. The evidence was piling up and police were closing in on Dellen. That same day, they were able to establish that the Lucas Bates cell phone, used in setting up test drives, was a fake identity that Dellen Millard had been using. Investigators finally had enough to make an arrest. When police took Dellen into custody, they found black latex gloves and Tim's truck keys in his car. He was charged with forcible confinement and theft of over $5,000. Charlene was excited. She thought it was just a matter of time before they would locate Tim and the two would be reunited. But Dellen wasn't talking and Tim was still missing. Police finally located Tim's truck in a trailer on the property of Madeline Burns, Dellen's mother. Inside was a lackluster attempt to clean up a great deal of evidence. Blood, blood, fingerprints, and a shell casing were all discovered in the stripped vehicle. But where was Tim Bosma? Search warrants allowed for law enforcement to comb through Dellon's other properties, and it was on his farm that they made a grim discovery. There they found a large industrial incinerator with the name The Eliminator stenciled on the side of it. It was designed to eliminate dead animals, large and small, and burned at 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Police found ashes and bones inside the incinerator, along with one human tooth. Due to the condition of the burnt evidence, forensics were unable to extract DNA. But they could verify the remains belonged to a man under the age of 40, Tim Bosma. On May 14, 2013, police called a press conference confirming that Tim Bosma was in fact deceased, and that Dellen Millard would be charged for first-degree murder. Dellen and his defense team acted shocked by the allegations and maintained that he would be pleading not guilty. Two weeks after Tim's disappearance, 25-year-old Mark Schmick was also arrested for the murder of Tim Bosma. Mark was the hooded man who accompanied Dellen on that fateful test drive when Tim Bosma was shot in cold blood. Dellen's lawyer kept the focus on his family name and good upbringing, questioning why anyone with the resources like Dellen Millard would commit murder for a truck. But the charges kept coming, and Dellen was beginning to resemble much more than just a thief. He was starting to look like a serial killer. While Dellen awaited his trial, police began investigating the disappearance of 23-year-old Lauren Babcock, his former lover. She had gone missing the previous year without a trace, and not long after Dellen had purchased the animal incinerator. Laura's life had begun to unravel in the months leading up to her disappearance. Her friends said that she was using drugs and struggled with her mental health. She had also fallen out with her family, bouncing from place to place with her small dog. When Laura couldn't find a job, she began working as an escort in June of 2012. Dellen's girlfriend, Christina Nogda, had become jealous of Laura. When the animosity between the two women hit its peak, Dellen sent a text to Christina about Laura, stating, First, I'm going to hurt her. Then I'll make her leave. I will remove her from our lives. Dellen told investigators he was sleeping with multiple women at the time, and his messages to Christina were just an attempt to placate a jealous girlfriend. Cell phone data showed Laura had met Dellen on July 3rd at his house, just a day after he had purchased a 32 caliber handgun. Mark Smith's phone pinged off a nearby cell tower that night, making them suspect he too was also involved. A day later, Dellen sent Mark a photo of what investigators suspect was Babcock's body wrapped in a blue tarp. Records show that Laura's last outgoing call was to Dellen Millard, her phone had never been found. They later discovered a twisted poem on Mark's iPad that seemed to reference Laura's disappearance that read, The bitch started off all skin and bones, now the bitch lay on some ash stone. Last time I saw her was outside the home, and if you go swimming, you can find her phone. At the same time, investigators also began re-examining the death of Delon's father, Wayne Millard who had died of a gunshot to the head the previous year. Wayne's death had been originally ruled a suicide, with Dellen claiming his father had become a depressed alcoholic. Before he died in 2012, Wayne Millard was in the process of establishing Millard Air MRO, based at the International Airport in Waterloo, Ontario. With Wayne in his early 70s, there was talk that Dellen would later take over the business. But employees at Millard Air said there had been escalating tensions between the father and son. On the night of his father's death, Dillon claimed to have been staying at Mark Smick's house, yet phone records proved that he had returned to Wayne's home during the early hours of that morning. Dillon claimed to have discovered his dad in bed with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The day after his dad died, Dellen said, He carried some great sadness with him throughout the life that I never knew. He never wanted to share that with me. The next month, law enforcement announced that the murder of Tim Bosma, the disappearance of Laura Babcock, and the death of Wayne Millard were now officially part of one multi-jurisdictional police investigation. In April 2014, 11 months after the disappearance of Tim Bosma, Police announced they would be charging both Dellen and Mark Schmick with the death of Laura Babcock. Dellen would also be facing a charge for the death of his father, Wayne Millard. On February 1, 2016, the murder trial for Tim Bosma began at the Ontario Superior Court. Both Dellen and Mark pled not guilty, and the Crown laid out the mountain of evidence against them. The prosecution argued that though it is not clear which man on trial did in fact pull the trigger, it didn't matter. Both men were complicit in the murder and had made plans to pull it off together. On June 17, 2016, Dylan Millard and Mark Smick were convicted of first-degree murder for killing Tim Bosma. They were sentenced to life in prison with no parole eligibility for 25 years. Then, in December 2017, Dellen and Mark were convicted for a second time for the murder of Laura Babcock. Crown prosecutors said Dellen and Mark had spent months planning Laura's murder. They attempted to cover it up by burning her body in the same animal incinerator they used for Tim Bosma. The two men were again sentenced to life in prison with a 25-year parole ineligibility period. When Dellen stood trial for the murder of his father in June 2018, he faced only a judge. Evidence presented by the Crown indicated that not only had Dellen purchased the gun used in the murder, but his DNA was found on it. His cell phone had also been at his father's home between the hours of 1 and 6 a.m., though he claimed to have been at Mark Smith's house. Dellen was once again found guilty of first-degree murder for the death of his father, Wayne Millard. On December 18, 2018, Dellon was ordered to a third life sentencing, with again no parole eligibility for 25 years. This would be served consecutively, along with the two other life sentences handed down in Tim and Laura's murder. The aviation heir, once considered one of Canada's most eligible bachelors, was now officially a serial killer, convicted of murdering his father, a lover, and a stranger in less than a year. So how could someone with such promise wind up in prison? Dellen's life wasn't completely charmed. His parents divorced when he was 11 and there appeared to be a deep rift between his father and his uncle that never healed. Part of the answer may lie in the indulged way Dylan was raised. Overindulgence can cultivate a child's worst qualities by teaching him a view of the world with him at its center. Even if motivated by love and kindness, the child receives messages like, no one is as special as you are, or the rules don't apply to you. As a parent, it's natural for us to see our child through the rose-colored glasses of love. But nothing good comes out of teaching a child that he or she is more special than others. Well-meaning parents can also confuse love with leniency, failing to set clear expectations about what is expected of them and protecting them from much-needed consequences for unacceptable behavior. Taken to the extreme, parents can indulge or enable their child when he or she is being selfish, insensitive, or uncaring. It can lead a child to grow up without a sense of right or wrong or a sense of remorse when causing someone harm. Even the most well-adjusted child behaves badly at times and it's our job as parents to guide them back onto the right track. Dellen Millard seemed to have no qualms about killing, whether it was to please a girlfriend, bump off his old man, or just for kicks. And yet, in spite of three murder convictions and an overwhelming amount of evidence, His mother continues to believe her son is being framed. Every single parent makes mistakes, and there is no child-rearing mistake which on its own creates a monster. There are, however, parental messages that can confuse even the most naturally empathetic child and in conjunction with other factors lead to a dangerous adult.